Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome, everybody, to the Forever Mighty podcast. Uh, as you can hear by my sultry tones, Edward is not with us today. Uh, however, we are finally uh, graced with the presence of one Jason Lamb. Jason, how are you, sir? I am finally not sick, although I will still be <laughs> coughing. <laughs> like, that thing has not left me for, like, three weeks. It's been Jesus super goodness. annoying. Uh, but, yeah, we're dropping like flies. If Pat can't make it, can't make it, can't make it. And then uh, Eddie can't make it, but they can't make it. And we're the only two idiots uh, who decided to show up (laughs) (laughs) to talk about all the wonderful things the Ducks have been doing lately. (laughs) Right. And we are going to get to that in a second. But first, I think what's most important is uh, we need to talk about Halloween candy. Mm. Jason, what's your favorite piece of Halloween candy to get? Um, geez, my, I guess it goes back to just what your favorite candy is in general, you know? So here's the thing. I don't know that I agree with that because I think when they're small, the experience is different. Like I would much rather eat a a fun size Snickers (laughs) than a full Snickers. A full Snickers I have no interest in. A little (laughs) Snickers, I'll throw those back all day. Uh, 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 um, no, that's right. I like how stupid you think I am. It's so funny. You get the uh, the the big bars. I mean, if you were a kid and uh, at least like go through Halloween and you got the little fun size or even like the mini ones. And I'm going to tell you a story here in two seconds. But there's like really tiny mini ones. Uh, they're like little blocks of things. I was like, <laughs> oh, what a cheap ass. It's like, really? I mean, because those bars are like everything when you're a kid. As an adult, hasn't really changed. Now, I don't really like chocolate. Not you know, sweet tooth person. Um, really? Yeah, no. Once I hit the big one o, uh, candy just stopped tasting all that great to me. So, uh, no, but it's still my favorite would, geez, it's actually changed. My favorite used to be as a kid was a Milky Way. Sure. And then it was, it, now it's more of like Twix. So I guess caramel's the kind of main factor in there. Um, or Butterfingers. I'm down with those. Those are good. Or Reese's Pieces, peanut butter and that sort of deal. Uh, but yeah, so like I said about, you know, oh, all these uh, cheap asses get the really small candy. So I went in to the grocery store to buy candy for Halloween and whatnot. And I was pulling out these bags that were fun size ones. I was like, oh, OK. And then I saw one that was way cheaper, but it said it had like 250 pieces. So I'm like, oh, all these ones have like 48 pieces. I didn't even think about it. So I grabbed that one. I opened it up because I, I wanted to eat some. 
And sure enough, they're little freaking square ones. And now I'm that cheap asshole. (laughs) And I thought, well, maybe I'll go back and get more. But it's like that bag was like 25 bucks. (laughs) <laughs> but i did i did back it up with uh, uh lollipops that are the um the, the blow pops that have gum in it I oh think those sure. are the best uh suckers out of all of them those are good ones them. those and like dum-dums and caramel apples are always <laughs> yes yeah, yeah I, for, i'm with you man like i think for me milky way and twix are probably my two favorite candy bars yeah. but i will say as someone who loves dots mm. My sister wasn't a huge Dots fan. So when we were growing up, I would get to like take her Dots. That trade. always made me very happy. No, it's not a trade. She's my little sister. Oh. She just fucking gives them to me. Oh, you just take it. You got <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about same, 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 same. Yeah. I've had like uh, 40 pounds on her our entire life, and now it's quite a bit more than that. So yeah, she wasn't going to, uh, she wasn't going to be able to anyway. stop me from taking a candy. Yeah. No, yeah, I used to do that, the, the taxing thing that parents do on kids. Like, you started doing that. Literally, pretty much everything I would ever take would be, like, the Reese's Pieces ones. Sure. Or not Reese's Pieces, but the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which, I mean, the definitive, I think, Halloween candy is the single, the full size, but single cup. You know what I'm talking about? No. Like, they, so, they have ones that come in, like, the twos. Like, you have two in that packet. Like, two, Reese's right. Cups. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they yeah. have them that's just one. Oh, really? And, yeah. And to me, that's like the definitive Halloween candy. Although, that, go, what were you saying? No, I was just thinking, I was thinking not Halloween, but it branched out because now I'm remembering too that for Christmas I get Reese's that are now shaped like trees. And Christmas huge trees, ones yeah. too, yeah. <laughs> they make Reese's shaped like everything now. I'm pretty sure they're going to have a flag for Flag Day or something. Like, oh, that'd be good. It is going to be absolutely <laughs> absurd. Speaking of having uh, your candy taken, the Anaheim Ducks are on a seven-game losing streak. Shocker. So, (laughs) I mean, there are so many places to start. Let's Let's do this real quick. Let's just recap. So, I believe... We, the last mm-hmm. time we spoke to it, it was before Seattle and New York. Uh-huh. And that was a win and a loss. And so now we're at New York, New Jersey, Boston. Oh, no, I think we did one there. But whatever. We'll start with. Okay. Basically, we went on a five game East Coast trip, lost everything except actually got a shootout loss to Boston, mm-hmm. then came home and have lost two, well, lost to Tampa, then lost to Vegas yesterday. Yes. So okay. they've lost Vegas, Tampa, Detroit, Boston in the last bit of chunk, and then New Jersey and uh, New York and New York before that. So in that span, they have given a 8, 13, 15. So we're just going to go back to Boston. 15 goals and have only scored four. Yep. All right, let's start with this. Let's start with this, Jay. Which part of that is more concerning to you, giving up 15 or only scoring four? Jeez, I don't know. That's Those are both horrific. Yes. Um, and I – more concerning to me is probably the offense uh, because um, mostly – yeah. It would be the offense because the offense, 
the fact that we can't get anything generated, at least we could generate stuff in the past or we could generate power play goals or something like that. If you can't do any of that, then you're going to rely on your defense to keep games close. Our defense was never set up to be a close defense. Um, it's just set up to weather this year. And our goaltending, although everyone wants to throw Gibby under the bus or whatever, um, it's just there's only so much you can do. Um, and when that defense is that bad, you get an Edmonton situation where even if you had offense really good, that defense is really bad. We can't even get offense. And if we can't get offense, I can't give any sort of pressure away from the defense. So the defense will never succeed. The goaltending will never succeed if we can't do anything offensively to stem the tide. And it just happens every so often uh, where we get, you know, maybe a handful of, of minutes in a period. Um, but for the most part, it's way too often. It's reflected in the shots against. Those shots against, with the exception of us actually, I think we outshot Vegas the last game. Other than that, we've been blown out of the water. Usually about halfway through the game, we're either outshot by two to one margin or an even three to one margin on a lot of games. And that's mind blowing. <laughs> there's there's no recipe for success there. Maybe you get away with it one time uh, in a game, but you don't get you know you don't get that lucky over eight games uh, being outshot like that. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just not you know a, a formula for success. I think it's it's um, it's crazy. Like I think like you said, like I I think the Edmonton comparison comparison is actually really interesting to me because like. Edmonton's defense has struggled, but I think part of the problem for Edmonton's defense is that defense is built to be a transition defense. Most of those guys are puck-moving skaters as opposed to proper shutdown guys. And I say, you know, maybe if you want to say, like, uh, I can't think of his name all of a sudden, uh, Darnell Nurse, who at least can provide that physicality in front of the net and, and, you know, move guys around. But he's kind of at his best with the puck on the stick moving up ice. And I think in Anaheim, you have a very similar situation where that defensive core is made to move the puck. And the problem is, is we don't even have the elite offensive production that Edmonton gets, mm-hmm. which means, you know, the thing that can kind of help insulate you from having such a spotty defense um, or even just being spotty in your own end. Yeah, you know, it, there's nothing there. And like you said, the shots have been just abysmal. Like, just watching them just get so consistently on shot. Like, it's it's incredible. It, it's it a really, running joke at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it's just it's just bad. Like, there's just, like you said, there's no way to, to win giving up that many shots and taking that few. To that point, real quick, I wanted to... How many play? Uh, so, for Corsi four percentage, how many players do you think are above fifty percent? Well, if I knew what that was, Stephen, I would say two. Okay, <laughs> who would you guess? Uh, Corsi probably uh, Troy Terry. No. Yes. 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 Okay. Sweet. All right. Um, and uh, Vertrano. So. Funny you say that. So right. it's technically three, but oh, oh geez, one of them, close for not knowing what we're talking about. <laughs> one of them is Colton White, who has only played one game. However, oh, at five on five, how can I that, forget Colton White? That's I know at five on five, he's got a sixty-seven point one Corsi four percentage and a fifty-eight point eight expected goals percentage. Sure, he does. It, sure, yeah, fine. But when it comes to 
people have played multiple games, it is only Terry and Zegris. And Zegris is a 50.50 Corsi 4. So he is just, just over the line at 5v5 generating shots. Uh, Terry is a little bit significantly higher, I guess you would say, at 54.7. And the, the goal is to be above 50, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, um, of course he is, you know, shot attempts really is the best way to think about it. Okay. Uh, it's just the percentage of shot attempts at 5-on-5 five five is what we're looking at right now. Um, and expected goals, Terry's at 55, Zegers is at 51.7. And everybody else uh, beyond that is just brutally below 50%. And I think, you know, this is... This is one of those things where it's like if you watch the games, like those two names are not at all surprising. Um, yeah. I think who you mentioned, Vetrano, is a good one because he's shown, you know, a, a willingness to Moments. shoot anyways. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, he's yeah. generating sh- shooting chances, right? Like yeah. he is going to shoot the moment that puck hits a stick. And it's so funny because I think it was one of the games at the end of last week where he, like, just took a shot basically from, like, just over the half-point line, and you can almost just hear him yell Kobe and just take <laughs> a long shot. And I was just like, hey, shoot or shoot, man. I get it. Like, you know, that's uh, what it's going to be. Oh, man. If the if the, uh, the mics on the ice could actually pick him up saying that, I'd, <laughs> it's an instant fan favorite in my opinion. Just, just winding up Kobe. for a bomb. Kobe? Why not? That's right. Here's another one that I think is kind of crazy. If you're doing goals for percentage, just actual scored goals, there are three players at 50% exactly. Benoit, Fowler, and Shattenkirk are all at exactly 50%. Benoit is two and two, Fowler's four and four, Shattenkirk is five and five. Terry is at eight and six, 57%, and is the only player in a clear or positive. Yeah. So I guess, like, at this point, I think it's safe to say that Troy Terry is the best player on the team. Well, I mean, that's a low bar, but yes. Yes. You could <laughs> argue it's a damn yeah. It's just like, try, yeah, think, think, of, think of like a high jump where you got to kind of get over that. Like, this thing is like, it's on the ground. All you have to do is step over yeah. it, and you're instantly the best on that team for that. So that's yeah, the it's bar. It's like playing that. limbo with yeah. a soccer goal. <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah, I mean, Troy Terry, I, I love that there hasn't been any regression. Um, and and not only is he actually putting the puck in the net, he's doing a lot of great things. My only One of the things that they kind of pointed out, which I thought was interesting, is um, he's kind of one of, one of the only guys who kind of maybe gets the puck on the wing but comes to the middle. And when he kind of mm-hmm. moves through the middle, he kind of gives himself open options. So whether he shoots or whether he passes, that seems to be a different part of his game. Whereas before it was, and what a lot of I'm seeing with a lot of our players right now is just take it along the boards or dump it in and, you know, try and chip it back to that spot eventually. But he is able to maneuver through that middle, which has really kind of helped him out be more dangerous. My only concern is at some point, someone's going to lower a shoulder that he may not see. That's my only concern. Other than that, yeah, he's hands down the, the best player, but he's doing things that no one else is really doing. Um, and even though Zegers has put up some goals and still looks somewhat dangerous as he did kind of last year, of his passes quite aren't quite there. It's not the same Zegers from last year, and that's 
maybe not necessarily a testament to him regressing more that other teams are now way more aware of him um, and kind of shutting it down. And there's probably just, he's got to play against the top line every night. Now uh, there is no hiding anymore. Um, and you don't have that support system as far as other players or other lines helping him out. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's right. I think, you know, um, it's something I've heard more than a few people talk about with Terry is that he's so good at kind of playing in the triangle on defenders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I I think we talked about it before the season where I said, you know, that Troy Terry is a bit more of a perimeter player in so much as, like, he starts on the outside and he's looking to make plays. But you're 100% right. His ability to drive into the center lane to create opportunities for himself mm-hmm. is, is really remarkable. And, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that, like, for older fans, it's really like, oh, this isn't like the old game because half of those days he'd be dead by now. Yeah, like just, <laughs> the old days, yeah. Now. You know, and it's everyone's got a shoulder and it was, yeah, you know, or head if it was way yeah. back in the day. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. You know, so I think, um, you know, just to see that kind of assertiveness and that aggression from him has been really nice. And he's looked incredibly strong defensively, you know, uh, on stick checks coming back and on, on the four check as well. Um, uh, I think it was the other night he generated a chance against Vegas. Was it Vegas or somebody else where he Bless popped, him. he popped, he popped the stick at somebody and was able to generate a scoring chance. So it couldn't have been Vegas. Cause I think that they <laughs> definitely did. Oh yeah. It was against Tampa. Yeah, he got in uh, on Tampa and turned made a turnover, and that led to a goal right in front. And yeah, I mean, oh yeah, no, that's when he once he took out Headman. Yeah, yeah, I tweeted about it. Like, I was like, well, how does Tiny Terry take out Huge Headman or whatever, something like yeah, that? Yeah, you called him He Man Headman. He Man Headman. <laughs> yeah, but but that was great. It was aggressive. He took it away. He passed it out front, and then it eventually ended up getting over to Zegers for the goal. And right. um, that was it's just one of those confidence things where you know. Well, here's the play. I'm going to go at it where a lot of times uh, when he was younger and when a lot of our players right now are, it's more of a, oh, all right, Hedman's got it. What's he going to do with it? I'm, I'm going right. to see it. I'll, I'll slowly close in and close that gap. Whereas like, Terry's like, there's a puck. Get out. I'll do it. Here, go, go do stuff here. Pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what, I think, so I think that's, that, exactly that's what I wish everyone would start doing a little bit more, but it's great to see. Terry have the confidence to start doing that where he didn't have that in seasons past, not last season, but seasons before. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. I think that's one of those things where you can, is an easy way to tell where a player's confidence level at, right? Because like just clicks. Hegman's one of the best defensemen in the game. One of the best players in the game. You know, he's still incredible. He's also very big Mm -hmm. and physical. Um, You know, he's not like, anyways, doesn't matter. Um, yeah, yeah, he's, he's like not, he's a, he's not a bruiser, but he yeah, he's a physical he player, yeah. exactly. And I think the thing to see on that play, like you said, is that Terry didn't sit back and react, which is even in some circumstances understandable. He went after he ch- he said, "I'm going to dictate what happens next," and and that's a level of assertiveness that I think is just wonderful to see. And we started to see that a little bit in the beginning of last year, and then he got on his hot streak. And, uh, you know, you could kind of just see his confidence grow over the year. And by the end of the year, he was going at everybody. And it's nice to see him pick up, um, you know, where he left off as far as, you know, being the one to dictate play and and making things happen and forcing guys to react to him as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know if it's, you know, just 
a young and confidence or maybe, um, you know, a coaching or structure of I just see too many times where we're kind of coming in, but it, it's just slow and it seems like I'm going to react to what they're doing so that I'm in a good spot when it comes this way. So that means you're going to end up receiving the game, which is another reason why you start seeing all these high shot totals against mm-hmm. us. Uh, whereas where someone who's got the confidence or maybe just understands what they need to do a little bit better, it's just they see it and they don't think about it. They don't go like, okay, well, yeah. well, well I've got to, I've got to be in this position. It's like, no, I got a chance to take it. And they just don't think about it. It's just that's the puck. That's what I want to get. I'm fine. And that intuition kicks in. So a lot of times I, I feel like a lot of our guys are either trying to think too much about it um, and try to not make a mistake. And I think that's kind of a little bit of a detriment where we kind of fall back a little bit on, on what we're doing. So, and that could be a lot, you know, the influx of new players. It could be the, uh, the coaching system isn't working all that great. Um, or it's just the confidence isn't there for some of the younger players. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's a great point. I want to actually get to that is I, I do think <clears throat> it's more than fair to say that, uh, you know, some of the, miscommunications and lapses that we've seen early on it's hard not to think some amount of that is the result of having so many new players uh in the lineup um on defense on offense you know i mean the only place where it's the same exact guys in the last year is goal and that's it um and you know they said something uh, during the tnt broadcast i thought was really interesting i think it was a uh, anson and, and talkit were talking about it but the fact is, you know, there's a there, when you start off on such a prolonged road trip, yeah, um, you don't have the opportunity to really have a bunch of practices mm-hmm. and, you know, not having that practice time, especially for such a new group so early in the season is so important. Now, hopefully that that evens out maybe late November, early December, they get a significant homestand where they can practice a bit more. But how much of this for you do you think can be solved by just getting to 20 games and guys just being more familiar. And, and I don't, I don't mean solved as in all of a sudden they're a two to one win team, you know what I mean? Like two wins for everyone mm, lost. I yeah. just mean more of not quite looking so chicken without a head out there. I don't know because it's, it's, it's funny to see that light switch on teams because it does happen. And then, but then that's usually when a streak happens and they start going on a winning streak. And then all of a sudden, uh, things stop going well and the hockey guys seem to be against you and then it's the exact opposite then you go fall right back in that position where things become hesitant so without getting good you know a lot of consistent wins and consistent good efforts it's hard to think that all of a sudden after 20 games and you know we're we've got let's let's be we'll be optimistic we got say we have one win now say we have five or six wins by the time we get to a 20 game mark it's hard to think that over 20 games, we've won six games and we've been brutal <laughs> all the other games uh, that we tend to lose, except for like Boston. But um, and then all of a sudden just be like, oh, we got all that. Com- oh, now, now everything's going to start clicking. I mean, there's a possibility for it. But at, at the same time, it's just what will what will happen is just they got to stop thinking about it so much. And it's hard to do i don't know it's harder to do with younger players especially a lot of them have a, a lot of stress on their back your max jones your uh come to your um <clears throat> drysdale he puts a lot on that i think he's doing great by the way but from 
from what I've heard is sometimes he gets kind of down on his game if he doesn't have a good one. Um, so it's kind of, you know, getting those players to just not have to think, have it just be second nature, but also kind of play their game. So it's, it's tough. I, I, I don't think after 20 games, all of a sudden everything's going to click. I think this is going to be seasons of complete ups and downs, mostly downs. Uh, but hopefully, yeah. you know, you string together three, four wins, and then all of a sudden you go, okay, all right, so we can do this, and this is how we're doing it. But there's going to be a lot of these these breakdowns that are going to happen. Yeah, I think to your point, I think, uh, you know, the best case scenario in a lot of ways is just that as the season goes on, the dips or the valleys get shorter, right? Yeah. You know, instead of going five, six, seven games without a win, you go three or four without a win. And then maybe you have a couple of them where you're winning and losing every other game or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, I'm, I'm looking ahead at the schedule real quick. And just to get to the 20 point mark is, or the 20 game mark would be you no know, end of November, uh, 20, November 23rd. And even in that span, I mean, there's maybe five winnable games, two against San Jose, one against Vancouver, uh, and then you've got Chicago and Detroit. So, you know, I mean, other than that, I don't really see a lot of winnable games, and they've already lost to Detroit. Uh, Vancouver might be, you know, Vancouver is a talented enough team that... They're, they're turning it around. So by the time just, they get you get there, exactly, they may have turned it around, so even that game's not necessarily as winnable as it was. So now you're looking at the two San Jose games in Chicago as these have to be three wins. You know, I mean, they have to be wins if you're actually planning on making the playoffs. <laughs> but well, yeah, but I think yeah. just to see a little bit of improvement, <laughs> improvement. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you just like, you know what I mean? Like, those are the games. I think even if it's a shootout loss, I think you would be a little bit more OK with that. Than I'm OK with a, a regular loss if they if they're playing well, like they play well and they lose and the other team just outplayed them. Fine. I'm just seeing games where there's just nothing. There's, uh, I, you know, even the Vegas one wasn't too terrible. I think we kind of ran a little bit into a hot goalie uh, with that. I, uh, we didn't play all that bad against Tampa Bay, although they were on back-to-back nights with their backup goalie. But we looked decent there. But I'm thinking, like, the blowouts at Detroit, at the Islanders. You start looking at that where there's just like, mm-hmm. What the hell are we doing? Like, I mean, you guys even going to show up? Play against my beer league team. Then you feel better, but barely. So it's just, yeah, it's just play well within a game. And if you get out play because they got more talent, they have a better structure, guys are a little bit better or more experienced, then so be it. But just the, the running around and the defensive zone and then almost no shots. I just have to watch the goalies just absolutely – I watch Gibson get more and more depressed every single period that he plays and almost yeah. not even depressed, almost just that. I don't, I don't give a fuck anymore. It's that way. Like it goes in, he goes like, all right, dude, I am oh, waiting for him be... to go full Patrick walk for real <laughs> and just be like, I'm not playing anymore. I'm done. Yeah. I'm just done. I'm going to I'm demand that you fucking get me out of here because this is embarrassing. And I don't think you could be <sighs> mad at him for it. And I also nope. think it's fair to say, I don't know that anybody's picking up the phone as quickly as possible to get him because, you know, like I, think, I said this offseason. No, then you are because Gibson is a good goalie and he has been with a decent team in front of him. He just hasn't had that. So put him on a team, start him fresh. The dude's going to be reinvigorated. If you got something decent in front of him, he's going to be great. But for the Ducks, it makes sense. Trade him, get a number one draft pick uh, or the first round draft pick. Right. 
And then you still have your Stolars if you want to keep him. And Dostal is on the way in because I think Stolars could easily be a number one goalie for the Ducks, especially kind of in the progression period that we're in. We're right. still a couple of years away. He can do that. Dostal gets the backup, gets a little bit more experience, and then all of a sudden he becomes the number one. That's the way I kind of see it going. But. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. You know, I this summer we talked about Thank it a little you. bit. And I think... <laughs> I think the thing with Gibby is, is, you know, at this point, he's had three great years as a full-time starter and three subpar years as a full-time starter. And I think if you can just look at the rosters for those different teams, you can see <coughs> the degree to which the deterioration of the team in front of him has significantly affected his ability uh, to be effective on a nightly basis because the structure and, and the quality has kind of, you know, again, fallen apart. But at the same time, that is a contract. He does make a decent amount of money. 6.4 wasn't that bad when he looked like one of the four or five best goalies in the league. If he's only 8, 9, 10, then I don't know that 6.4 is is the best. Um, but it does be willing to take some of that back anyways. Oh, I'm think. sure they would. I, yeah, you like know, $2 million, I mean, and now they got a four-million four goalie. You know, whoever gets it would have a $4 million goalie on their books, and um, – a legitimate number one starter who just needs a, a team to to play better in front of him. Mm-hmm. And if you got that no, team, 100%. then you're going to win on that one. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. I I am I am more than a little optimistic that in a in a different system in, in on it on a new team. I think you're absolutely right about the fresh start being huge for him. I I really do think just getting a clean break would be a big thing. Okay. Um, but how? How how worrisome is it for you that he started seven of eight? Or do you think Akins is just trying to be like, I'm just going to run you out there until you find your groove? But I, I don't know what to – and we're going to get to Akins in a second. Yeah, good. But I just think, <laughs> you know, the starting seven of eight, like, because that was my thought. My initial thought of like, okay, let me try to rationalize this. And the only thing I could really come up with is that it was just like – you know, almost like Goldberg in uh, the Mighty Cuts movie <laughs> where they just tied him to the thing. Oh, okay. And they just start taking shots at him. And they're just like, you're going to figure it out eventually. And yeah. I don't know if that's what it is, but that's the closest <laughs> I can think of. And I don't know that subjecting him to 35 <laughs> shots in the first two periods of every game is really the best way to get him there. Well, and to that point a little bit, too, is like most of the time on those games where he's getting shelled, he, he gets the third period off and Stolarz comes in. Saw it against Vegas, too. Uh, again, with with Gibson, he's going to be good in the beginning part of the season. He'll be sharp. Uh, and within games, he's going to be sharp to begin with and gives you probably the best chance at winning. Uh, what can end up happening, unfortunately, is just with the amount of shots that he's going to face because this dude actually has faced the most shots, actually has the most saves in the league. Um, you, you think like, oh, well, he must be a good goalie. It's like, no, his team's kind of letting him down. Uh, whether or not you want to I probably would not have played him as much. My only mm-hmm. thought was just maybe, hey, he needs to be the number one. He needs to know it. I don't know any of the politics behind it, I guess, if there's politics behind that um, about like Gibson, like, hey, I want to make sure I'm playing more games and, you know, I won't request a trade or whatever he's, he's, he may or may not do. Right. Um, Stolarz is an amazing backup, kind of like we had with Ryan Miller, in my opinion. I think he does a very similar job as Ryan Miller, um, and he could be a number one uh, for any team, including us. Is it smart to play Gibson that much on a five-game road trip 
eight eight games or you know seven of the eight games. Uh, probably not, given the the team struggle. Why not just let him kind of sit back some of those times? Uh, but at the same time, I'm a goalie. I would hate to be the number one goalie and like, oh hey, we just need you to sit back because the team team sucks. It's like, yeah. Well, I want to play. I don't I don't want to sit down and watch a shitty game. I'd rather at least be in there and try and change the outcome again. Maybe make a big save, that sort of deal. So I you know I don't know how much it is just talking with them him not playing some of those third periods so it's not really like you got a full game and maybe sure. you know hey don't go like hey you gave up a lot of goals even though they weren't your fault we're not going to play you the third period and we're not going to play you the next game because then it's just kind of like well let's just kick the dude while he's while he's down because he's and I, I think he's trying he's trying to be a good goalie but yeah know, no it's, it's, it's handcuffed <laughs> i you know it's so funny that you say it. i'm looking at it right now and through eight games <laughs> John Gibson has seven starts. Anthony Stolarz has one. But Anthony Stolarz still has four games played and in minutes has played almost two full games. Uh, So like you're saying, he's coming in for the third period pretty much every time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and yeah, I mean, I think you could talk me into a 6-2 split over this and and just one extra pull out one of those starts I think could help but I think in a a perfect world I think you're looking at closer to 5-3 being kind of the split and and progression kind of forward that you want to be on but like you said it's a special type of sociopath to be a professional I mean to be a goalie at any level is a special kind of sociopath and to be thank you an elite goalie in the NHL is you know, a, a particularly special type of sociopath. So I, I, you know, I really don't, I think that's probably right. It's I so think misunderstood as <laughs> a goalie race. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I think you're right in so much as there's probably a big part of this that is him. Like if we're going to be bad, at least give me a chance to change that as opposed yeah. to, you know, benching me because you're trying to protect me. That doesn't do anybody any good. Well, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're in the game and you have an opportunity to hopefully bail your team out, which is just it's an amazing feeling as a goalie when you're on your game and you play well enough that you steal a game from another team when your team doesn't play particularly well. And mm-hmm. it's amazing when your teammates acknowledge that and you know congratulate you. There's there's no other feeling. That's, it's really awesome. Uh, the second side of that is when everything is bad and no matter how well you do, you're just not going to get that chance to save it because you're going to get the third pass and a backdoor slam dunk and there's nothing you can do about it. The other worst part of that is sitting on the bench and watching that same thing play out anyways, because then you're just like, well, why am I here then? Why, why am I sitting down watching this? You know, obviously you're going to need a rest here and there. That's a given, but you know you you want to be in all of those situations because you want you want to play. That's why you play. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, and and it's probably equally frustrating for Stolars too, right? Being like, look, if you know, just being like, look, just at least give me a chance to see if I can be a little bit better out there instead. Um, you know, he played really, really well last year. I think he's absolutely earned the opportunity to. Um, you know, really push for equal splits. And like you said, I, I do think there was an opportunity this summer for him. I, I kind of wondered if he was going to get moved to a more cap strapped team looking for a goalie. Uh, your uh, Toronto's your uh, he doesn't have he doesn't have a name team. yet. That's the only problem. So unless unless a oh, scout sure. a scout knows 
to look at what he's doing, then they know. But this guy should be a number one. Like I liken it to Brizgala behind uh, Jaguar. Jiggy, yeah. Yeah, it's like Jaguar was, you know, the guy and everyone knew. And it's like, but if you ever watched how Brizgala was playing back in the day, it's like, he could be number one somewhere. And he was, and he, he was very successful and is still, I believe, getting paid by Philadelphia. So, so he's, he's getting, um, he should be a starter and that's what makes it, uh, in my opinion, a little bit easier this season to go like, all right, it's really kind of not fair to Gibby to just stick on this team with as much as he wants to win as much of, or as little of his career is left. Not that there's not a lot of career left, just like he spent a lot of it here, not working. And he's going to have to either grind his teeth for the next two years. But then what do we do with Stolars? What do we do with Dostal? Cause they're the next in line. I think it's a good time to move him. Stolars is your number one for another two seasons. And then Dostal becomes your next, you know, your next franchise goalie somewhere mm-hmm. in that time. Right? But. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm with you, man. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, look, we said we'd get to it, so let's get to it. Where are you at with Dallas Aikens? Just how do you, are you indifferent? Are you disappointed? Are you uh, disappointed? Uh, I'm a little disappointed in, in how it's gone. And also just kind of is, you know, his comments. Um, one is that I don't want to play defense. I know what he meant to say was I want to be so on offense that we don't have to play defense. I want to but, be attacking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I understand what he's kind of saying there, but coaching staff from top to bottom uh, has been a little frustrating to watch because um, there's no structure there. It just does. It's just, especially in the defensive zone. It is helter-skelter. Everyone is just running around trying to find the next person that they need to be hopefully guarding. But they're they're always doing this like, oh, okay, it's me. And then they go. So it's like, all right, there's there's nothing seems to be defined. He's also said in articles, uh, I think on The Athletic with uh, uh, Eric Stevens, was, you know, in practice, these guys are crushing it. They know exactly what to do. Once we get into the game, these guys become extremely passive and they don't seem to want to engage what's going on. So I don't know how much there's a disconnect between what he's preaching and what he's seeing in practice versus what's happening in the game. Uh, that being said, it's his job to get these guys prepared. It's his job to make sure that they are doing what's happening in practice is happening in the game. And if not, he's got to find a way to tweak it or get them more prepared. Um, the assistant coaches are supposed to be doing a good job on penalty killing power play. And that is God awful horrific. Um, I can't, I can't stand to watch either. So I just don't want any penalties. I want five on five and I, and I hesitate to even watch that. Um, so coaching's bad. I, I don't feel Eakins really has the, the room, so to speak. I think he's a good player development coach, which works more in the AHL level versus what might work in the NHL level. Um, because right now he does have a lot of young players, but a lot of them don't seem to be progressing at the NHL level. And that's kind of part of your job as a coach to put them in positions to progress and to get better. Um, I mean, Troy Terry can probably be it, but I think he also got a lot more mentoring from Getzloff than he did uh, Aiken. So 
I don't know. It's, you know, is he going to get fired? I don't think it's worth firing him at this point because who cares? I mean, it's not like all of a sudden we're going to fire him, get a new coach. Everything's going to get better and we're in a playoff situation. So why not just see this thing to the end of season? I hate calling it a lost season already, but um, when you start, what are we, one, seven and one? Something like uh, that? One, six and one, yeah. One, six and one. So about to be one, seven and one, I'm sure. So, yeah, at this point, it's like, well, what's the what's the point of, of getting rid of him? Just kind of play it out. Maybe you do something towards the end of the year or something like that. But at this point, who cares? It's just wait for next year. New coach. He'll bring in a new coach, uh, Verbeek Will. So it's kind of at least now he can say, hey, I gave him a fair shot for a full season. Yeah. That sort of deal. But So, all right, I'm going to. I'm going to ramble for a second. So you, you go ahead Steven? and take that, no. take that drink of energy drink. Yeah, I, uh, I lost you of a second right, ago. I'm good. Okay. You take your nap, bud. Um, yeah. So the Aikens thing I think is really, uh, is, is really kind of fascinating to me because I said over the summer, the thing for me is, is I really did feel like he wasn't going to make it past Valentine's Day because the while massacres? I because of the massacres? So, exactly, uh, yeah. He's a big Chicago guy. <laughs> that was a Capone guy. joke for those of you who don't know. Uh, yeah, big big Chicago guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I, I don't... He has his limitations as a coach, and I think they're very obvious. He also has his strengths as a coach, and I think those are equally as obvious. And I think part of the disconnect between the fan base and the organization, right, is how to weigh those negatives against those positives. I think for the fan base, it's, and this is understandably so, it's much more dictated by the product on the ice, where as for the organization, I would imagine a fair chunk of it is dictated by off the ice, how practices are going, how guys are able to keep their spirits up, how guys are getting better. Are guys motivated to get into the weight room? Are they, you know, I don't necessarily feel like we've seen a distinct lack of effort from anybody. But I also don't think that we've really seen anybody show that they are 100% know what they're supposed to do out there. And, you know, that that worries me. Um, you know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to just let him get some run and, and, you know, make a decision around the trade deadline as far as his future, maybe bring Stuther, uh, move Stuthers into the interim head coach role or, or something like that and, and see what's going on once summer hits and we start to get, you know, uh, everybody taking their, taking their walks and stuff like that. The thing, the, the thing I do wonder about is Pat Verbeek brought in Kulikov he brought in Klingberg. He brought in Petrano. He brought in Strom. Klingberg is more than likely, especially with how this has started, going to be moved. Kulikov is an expiring contract who doesn't make a significant amount of money and could very easily be moved. Petrano and Strom are expected to be a part of this team for the next several years. Mm-hmm. My question is, is at what point... Does it become pro? At what point does it become prohibitive, right? Like, is there a point at which they're playing so bad and they've lost so many games that you have to make a change just simply 
because like if you want to get anything for John Klingberg, he can't look bad. You know what I mean? How much of it is we brought these guys in. I sold them on this vision. I want them to be leaders, but I also need to give them a head coach. Like, you know, I'm just so I'm just really, really, really fascinated by the dynamic right now of of the head coach because the head coaching positions and then, you know, it's more specifically the way it relates to Aikens, whether he's going to be in or not, because I agree with you that, you know, it's not going to make a significant difference in the on-ice play simply because of what the talent level is. Now, he is clearly not getting the most out of this team. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I do also think that defense is bad and there's really no way to fix that without being like, we're going to go full Daryl Sutter or we're just going to push, 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 and just really try to be on guys' asses and keep the puck out of our end as much as possible. You know, it's that whole offense is the best defense, and I think that's incredibly stupid because <laughs> that's not what defense is, and I hate uh, it. I ju- it's yeah. just so stupid to me. But at the same time, I do understand philosophically the idea of the more we're over there, the less we're over there. So, you know, I, I just... But if you can defend well, you can ease. It's easier to get it out. If you, you know, like, sorry to interrupt. I'm actually kind of interrupting. No, 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 go, so, go, go, go. but, but, like, to your point, where you don't agree with, you know, hey, the, you know, the, the, you know, being to just outlet, not defending all the time. If you look at what San Jose did, and they brought in, uh, you know, uh, Carlson with Brent Burns. You, we all sat, uh, sat back and was just like, oh my god, they figured it out. They got it. Like, there's no way they're ever going to have to defend because they're just going to have these two guys on different lines just throwing it out every single time. And they did absolutely nothing with that. Nothing with that talent. And and they even shipped one out. And, you know, so and they're still kind of in their whole little rebuild thing. So, you know, to your point, I also agree that, yeah, you can't just go like, well, I don't want to defend because we should be in there. No, you're going to have to defend. At some point, it's going to happen. So have those guys ready. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, playing defense is a definable skill set to me. And Drysdale has it, and uh, Lindholm had it ish. Um, but uh, uh, you know, Cam Fowler, so he defends his- well in an off. In an offensively skilled way, <laughs> if that's the best way. He's a great skater. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, never, that Brian Hayward never, never mentions that. Huh? He's just an amazing Weird. skater. He can just he skate was... his way out of problems all the time. Tell me about <laughs> that. Uh, but like, you, you have Shattenkirk in there and Klingberg. I mean, they're not they're not super defenders or anything like that. So it gets it gets really tough. And if you put in a Kulikov, yeah, he's kind of a defender, but you know, it's you know, he's third. You know, second or th- you know, third on, on most teams, second pair defensive on our team. I mean, that's kind of just where we're at. Yeah, and uh, you know, to your point, like I think as much as Kulikov's game has shifted as he's gotten older to being a little bit more defensively responsible, he came into the league as an offensively inclined defenseman. And I think as he's had really a, just a weird career as far as bouncing around places. And I, I just yeah. think to that extent, he has had to focus a little bit more on his defense than his offense. Um, 
you know, which is why you see guys like Luke Shen stick around longer than you see guys like Michael Delzato stick around, even if both of them have stuck around far longer than anybody expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a reason why people like a little bit more Luke Shen than MDZ. And I think, um, you know, you look at the team and like of the guys, Simon Benoit is the only one who's defensive. And, you know, like he moved somebody out in front of the net the other night. And I was like, I didn't know we were allowed to do that. <laughs> you can just push people out of the way. That's insane. You know, yeah. I mean. Uh, no, they panned real quick to Dallas Aikens. He goes like, looking at both of his coaches. Like, did you guys tell him to do did that? You? No penalty? <laughs> we got away with one, boys. We got away with one. How <laughs> was there not a penalty on that play? <laughs> um, you know, now they got bowl you or you know, and and we'll see what what he has. He's going to end up playing a lot more games than I think anybody was hoping. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I, and then kind of you you know just to backtrack just a little bit to touch on you know what you said is uh, you know what does management see versus what do fans see between mm-hmm. you know going to the gym, eating right, you know doing those little things and practices. I think it's a difference between you know heart versus structure. So the heart is the things that fans are probably not going to see. You're not going to see the guy at the gym. You're not going to see that practice. You're not going to see them spend a little bit more time trying to get better. But what you do see is what goes on the ice. And they can have all the heart. They can have all the the try if they want. The structure is not there. They're going to look lost. They're going to have all this talent Mm -hmm. that's going nowhere. And that's where I think maybe the disconnect where if – management really believes in Dallas Aikens because they see all the behind the scenes stuff and thinking it's like, fine, maybe he's great there. And that would be a great spot for an assistant coach uh, who doesn't have to have structure in game or make in game decisions that are going to be a little bit better. Um, So I think, like I said, with Aikens, it doesn't make any difference on this season to do it. Uh, I'd hate to see him go just completely out of the Anaheim organization, uh, I think he has value. I just don't think it's as a head coach. And at that point, I would say, let's try and find somebody. I'm going to say it, Barry Trotz. Someone that's going to come in and and actually has the pedigree to win, has the longevity and a little bit more of the gravitas uh, than Eakins would. But I would like Eakins to go ahead and you know be a part of the organization in some way, whether it's AHL or whether it's assistant coach, whatever happens. Yeah, I, I've i always leaned a little bit more Claude Julian than Barry Trotz. Um, but the the other name that I think is actually kind of interesting is Andrew Burnett, who is, I think, the assistant head coach for the Rangers or, like, associate head coach or some shit. Like, he's been, like, a weird, like, 1B situation, I think, with the uh, Rangers after he wasn't kept by Florida. Oh, and, yeah, I just looked up on this you know, blank piece of paper. You're right. Now we can move on. Thank you so much. He was on the I'm Rangers. Glad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, there are some interesting names out there. Uh, you know, I mean, Travis Green is a guy who's been around, uh, who's had his Oh, no, God, no, please. No. I know. I'm just saying there's, there's, there are names <laughs> out there. There are. Um, My names out there. <laughs> and and I, think, like, I think you're right. I think that's, that's a great distinction to make is I would frame it as, like, professionalism versus execution. Uh, as far as on ice, off ice things, right? Where you're doing all the little things necessary. Um, you know, last he's night really there was really good at those things, like those yes, professionalism things. 
It's he just really, his really deficiency is, is coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess at that highest level, out coaching uh, an opponent or figuring out what structure yeah. to work with his team versus the league in general. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that the strategies he has uh, pan out too well in, in this NHL, but he's really good with the players and, and you know, players don't hate him or anything. So it doesn't seem like that. that. That's my thing yeah. is, you know, that's why like I, I have personally been hesitant to worry or, or to, even openly talk about whether or not he's lost the broom because there's nothing to me that indicates that they're still playing hard. They're just sloppy. Like yeah. it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, nothing about the way they're playing. And even when you do the interviews, there's interviews. They're all like, Hey, we got a great group here. Like we, we know we have it. Mm-hmm. We've just got to put it together. And that's not a, a team that's lost you know, interest or, you know, interest in listening to the coach. Cause then it's like, yeah, you know, uh, we just, we gotta get better somehow. I mean, that's, that's what you, yeah. you get. Those downtrodden right. guys. Just like these guys that we lost and, you know, we did some good things and this is a good group. I love playing with these guys and we're all, we're all there. It's just, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta find some way done. to do it. Right. You know, it's, it's more positive versus, you know, a, a depressive you know, post-game <laughs> interviews because that's the worst that's your kiss of death when you just get interviews and guys are just staring at the floor you're like i don't know man <laughs> yeah <laughs> my for favorite. sure absolutely um so i guess the next thing in regards to akins because i i do think that unfortunately this is going to be one of the two or three biggest storylines until it's resolved right either the season's going to end or he's going to be gone. But that's the only way that this situation stops being talked about. Uh, Eric, Steve, uh, okay, well, let's do this. Last, was it last night? It was Vegas? Today is Saturday, Vegas. Last night. Vegas yeah. was last night, yeah. Yeah, or yesterday afternoon, sorry. That's what messed me up. It was, it was a really yesterday. stupid time. I found out because it's uh, uh, through Dave who said it was uh, it's Nevada Day or something Nevada like that. Nevada Day, yeah. Which Nevada Day, so it's stupid. some sort of so stupid. stupid thing. So they started at like three. <laughs> um, so he elected last night, yesterday after, whatever, in the last game, he elected <laughs> to go an 11-7 split. Uh, which actually worked and, out because Drysdale got hurt. Right. So that is the thing. The original reaction by, I think, pretty much everyone was, what the fuck is this? How is 11-7 going to solve the problem? Uh, how does making kind of weird lines, you know, whatever. And maybe it's just this allows us to get Troy over the wall, uh, over the boards a bunch of times or something yeah. like that. But it, it, it felt really and this is something a lot of people have said and i've kind of avoided just because i like the guy but it, it did feel a little too galaxy brain for me um but everyone, like you everyone, said, everyone used that term galaxy brain i i feel like I, I let me say it this way i've heard a lot of people use that in reference to akins before not necessarily that galaxy one. brain yeah i've never heard of it you've never heard the first galaxy brain no which okay, is like, you know well, I, mean I would just say about it was the just different a stupid, types of memes? stupid decision. <laughs> but do you know the, the meme of like the person with all the different like versions? Oh, of yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. bottom one is like Galaxy Brain, where it's oh. just like you see everything. Okay. And eh, oh, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. I guess I just um, myself. I'm not up to date with my memes. You're not hip, man. Uh, I gotta get hip with it. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, you know, and then it ended up somewhat being beneficial because Drysdale went down. (laughs) Do you think, (laughs) because it's like, called it, called it, everyone. (laughs) I knew it. I knew something was going to happen. I knew it. You thought I was stupid. And, um, yeah, so so Drysdale got hurt, you you know, on on what didn't feel like a dirty play to me. It felt just like an unfortunate play. I didn't think anybody did anything wrong. It wasn't it just even happened. bad. It's, it, no. it didn't even seem like a big hit. It didn't seem it just forceful. Him out. Yeah, just was like, hey, there you go, and then all of a sudden he's just down and out. Yeah, and and I'm sure part of it was you know just bad luck positioning where the way his arm went into the boards yeah. and stuff like that. And you know these guys aren't hitting each other with pillows, but yeah. still it wasn't you know he wasn't. Like he wrong. could have been erased into the boards, yes, and he was not. Exactly, he could have been so Here's yes, a little bump. I'll approach. move on. I'm gonna start playing over here. Yeah, and we'll just and, uh, go about our day. <laughs> and so then the team switched to the 11-6, obviously, because he came out. And like I said, it, it, it worked out a little bit. The question, though, I think a lot of people is: is Leeson has been playing in a few games? And Regenda, who had a nice start and a great preseason, has been healthy scratch more than a few times now. Do, do you worry about Regenda not getting an opportunity to jump into this? How old is he again? I think he's like 21. That's it. So the kid. Aikens has this 23. Oh, okay. So he's not quite a kid. But yeah. Still... Uh, he has this tendency to to not put, I don't know, I don't want to say put people, but like with, with Zegris, like he didn't rush him into it. He kind of did it to the side, wouldn't let him take those late game faceoffs, uh, even if they were in the offensive zone. He's done that to McTavish this season, where he's really kind of held back a lot of his minutes, hasn't really let him get into it, even though when he's out there, I can't distinguish him being any worse than any other, you know, journeyman on the team at this point. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you kind of sit there and go like, well, OK, well, why? And then you like Max Jones is out there. He's not really producing. Uh, Max Comtois is out there. He's not really producing. Why wouldn't you sit those guys? Let this guy come in. That sort of deal. Um, but uh, so I don't know why he's doing that, because I don't think Regenda's had anything worse than any other person other than right. to just maybe a mix it up or be hey you're good you'll be good but i need you to sit back and watch from a different angle maybe that might help because that's the only reason i see you ever give someone that break unless you're like back-to-back games and the team's struggling and you need to plug another forward in there but if you take him out put another defenseman in there albeit that it ended up working out because we needed it um uh, you just got to take that as the message of I'm so bad that you're going to put a defenseman in <laughs> to essentially take yeah, over I mean, what my spot would be. And that's not a great message to send to somebody who, who literally as we go into the season, I'm like, man, we might actually have a decent fourth line or third line, something that's going to, you know, maybe help out that those top mm-hmm. two lines and, you know, it's struggled, but, you know, just try and pick him out and I guess you got to pick out somebody, but yeah, you know, and, and he kind of lost his spot when Leeson showed up. And, 
you know, I mean, he wasn't even in the game before, so it was more of taking Leeson out, but he lost his spot to Leeson, who then lost his spot to a defenseman. And you're like, again, yeah. like you said, <laughs> how is that the better option? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I agree that that can be a little tough. And this is one of those things where I choose, and I'm very clear on this, I choose to believe, based on the little bit that I know, that Aikens is a good communicator and that he is sitting these guys down and at least expressing where he's coming from. I'm not saying they agree. I'm not saying that they like it. It's a sit with, it's a sit with a purpose um, versus like a a Randy Carlisle goes, Oh, he's been sucking. Sit down. Yeah. Like like that would be it. Like you suck. Oh, you better shut up, figure it out. Of yeah. time for you. <laughs> like, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that communication is there and, you know, for whatever reason, but it's, it's, it's again, you know, we're not privy. We're just kind of from the outside, a fan perspective, looking at the decision which being made. nobody wants, I've heard on podcasts. Nobody cares about fans um, <laughs> or our opinions. <laughs> so, the lines from practice this morning, I want to go over real quick with you. Uh, the top line as it oh, was. Oh, hang on. Perfect. Silver bullet? Yeah, I ran out of my IPAs. Sorry. That's fine. IPAs are terrible. Voodoo ranges are good. And they're high percentage of them. They're 9%, but they don't hit like a 9%. So anyways. Yes. I that's, uh, I, you don't have to drink like this, people. You can just enjoy so it. They're so good. They are. This one is. There's some that are horrible. They take a, they're it's like really drinking rough. grass water. I hate it. Okay, what, uh, is the top, what? I don't know. I've never heard what gra- what does grass water taste like. Don't say an, like IPA. an IPA. Don't say an IPA. <laughs> it's just. I don't know. It's I don't just know. It tastes like a grass water. It just sucks. It. <laughs> it's so bad. It's not are, that bad. They're not good. It's, I mean, if you really sit down and think about it, no beer is really good. That's like, not I mean, true. Think of one beer that you would go like, all right, I totally love this over, um, I don't know, it'll depend, but like a lemonade or an iced tea or some other sweeter drink. I don't get this a lot. I'm basic. I accept that about myself, that I am a very basic bitch when it comes to beer. Well, what do you drink as a basic bitch? What do you drink? So, okay. Apple teeny, cold teeny? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, No, I would say that my go-to for Beer is Anchor Steam. Uh, what do I have in the fridge right now? Well, what kind? Do you like wheat beer? Do you like just regular? I like darker beer. Like, I'll drink, like, ales or lagers. But, like, honestly, I prefer, like, stouts. Like, Guinness, Blackwood Quarter. Um, Maybe if it's, like, really cold. Like, if it's the middle of winter, I'll do, like, a stout or, you know, a wheat beer or something like that. Uh, IPAs, and you can have some IPAs that are really good in summer, and then like harder IPAs that are better in winter. I don't know. I guess I'm seasonal like that. Yeah, you're very uh, <laughs> very <reflective>. seasonal. <laughs> um, Anyways, what the hell are we talking about? Lines. Okay, so uh, top line as according to Eric Stevens from practices today: McTavish, Strom, Terry. Second line: uh, Henrique, Zegers, Petrano. Third line: Grant, Lundstrom, Silverberg. Fourth line: Jones, Carrick, Comtois. Sam Carrick, worth noting, was a full participant in practice today and was uh, taking line rushes with the team and so forth and so on. So it would seem like he is gearing back up to get back into 
the, into action somewhat soon. Defense pairs in the wake of the Dreesdale injury. Yeah. Cam Fowler, yeah. Dmitry Kulikov, Simon Benoit, uh, John Klingberg, thank you, uh, and then Bolu and Shattenkirk. What, does anything stand out about those to you? Um, other than they're they're breaking up Terry and Zegras, right? Yes. Sam Carrick back in there. Though to be uh, fair, I don't think they started on the same line. Not at the beginning of the season, but then they became like the only important part of the offense. So, <laughs> well, at least the uh, only working part. Yeah. So, what is it? Zegras, Henrik, and who's the Vetrano? Vetrano. I mean, that could work. I'd like to see what Zegras could do with Vetrano, especially since he's, you know, that I'm going to fire a shot. And it's usually going to be right. pretty good. Um, once again, they, they can change up the lines. Um, you know, at least we're playing San Jose, so there's a chance there, uh, just as far as the team we're playing against. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, if we if we come out and we just we play like we have almost every game of the season, with the exception of maybe Seattle and Boston, and to a lesser degree Tampa Bay, um, if we play anything other than what we did those games, we're still going to have a hard time. I don't care what line Zegers and Terry are on. Um, I think it's going to be fine. I think we'll, we'll probably have a decent game against them. Uh, but once again, even if we win, which would be nice to get our second win, um, I'm not going to sit there and go like, hell yeah, we're back. We just beat fucking San Jose. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I saw, I'm puffing my chest out on that one. I saw someone online say that they didn't like Comtois going down to the fourth line, and like I can understand it. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sold. He's a top six player still. He seems to be much more of a middle six type, um, which you know, <laughs> distinction uh, distinction without a difference, I suppose, uh, in certain ways, and certainly on this garbage ass team. But the thing that's interesting for me is is having McTavish on the wing fundamentally changes how much you can mess with this lineup because you know there are only four spots on either side of Zegris and Strom who are very clearly the top two centers I mean they haven't moved Henrique back to center Uh, they're clearly waiting a bit for McTavish which is fine they said they were going to do that at the beginning of the year I don't mind it at all but it, it does kind of change the dynamics of what this lineup can look like because I wonder if people would feel a little differently if the third line was just, say, Comtois, McTavish, Silverberg. You know, I don't know that anybody would feel better. I don't know that anybody would feel worse. I still think the best third line is Henrik Lindestrom, Silverberg. Um, but, you know, Henrik has shown he can kind of play up and down the whole thing, and he's going to be the same kind of two-way forward, and, you know. Yeah. It, it, it depends what you want the third line to do. I mean, it come from, you know, when the Ducks won the Cup, that third line was their shutdown line. You know, you right. play against the top guys, and you're defensively responsible. Putting McTavish on a third line like that wouldn't really work. I don't know if that's – how the NHL necessarily works at this point, because I don't really think it does. I think now it's every every line is expected to 
produce offense and not be liable defense. Oh, bye, Steven. And then on top of that, you having that fourth line, like like you said, with Comtois being there on the fourth line, I'm kind of all about that, in my opinion, uh, mostly because he's been given that opportunity to play on the top line, the second line, the third line. Uh, and even though he has the ability to score, it seems for whatever reason it's off. And whether that's, you know, going to continue or not, uh, what he has shown and what he has been good at is being what I would consider more of a fourth line guy, which is to be physical in your face. I'll fight you. I will also be a threat to score from in tight. And that's that's where you want that fourth line. If it's a fourth line versus a fourth line situation, I think he's actually going to get a little bit more opportunity to actually score those goals. He doesn't get Mm -hmm. as many minutes per se, but I think the people he's going to be, uh, you know, who are challenging him aren't going to be of the same skill level if he has to play on those higher lines. So I'm fine with that. Um, Putting McTavish on the third line, whatever. I mean, at this point, even if you have him on the second line, he's still getting third line minutes because he's kind of being like rested every now and again when it doesn't seem to make sense. (laughs) So I don't know. It's, you know, it's again, it's Eakins has a very different way of treating younger players mm-hmm. um, and, and he tends to just shelter them a lot more. I don't know if that's to a detriment or not. Uh, time right. will tell. Yeah. I mean, actually, you know, just kind of listening to you talk about it, thinking about it this way. I, I wonder if, you know, like Comtois Lundestrom Carrick makes the most sense um, as a, a third line, because, you know, I, I think, the thing with Comtois, he was playing with Terry and Zegers for a bit last night, and he was buzzing. He was looking good and being active, but he just feels, I don't know, I, he just feels like he's like a half step away from the right spot a lot of times right now. And I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if it's learning to play with these guys. I don't know what it is, but it does feel like there is a bit of a delay for him when he's playing with those guys. He is a around-the-net goal scorer. So if he's around the net and it's usually crash, dump, physical style that doesn't suit a Zegras or a Troy Terry. See, uh, I that think might, it's incredibly complimentary to those two, in theory. In theory, except that these guys are literally going to pass around that. Having one guy in front, I guess, would make sense if you are going to screen the goalie, if you're going to create havoc there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't necessarily do that havoc part. He's just in the area around the net and he's looking for a bounce out a rebound something like that i actually think given his physicality his willingness to kind of bump in there lines up more with a third or fourth line because most of those guys are not looking to you know we're not passing exactly to the point we're not doing crisp passes here we're gonna get it and once again in theory the fourth line should be operating this way is throwing it at the feet of the goalie, getting in there, slamming around, and then someone with his ability to to pick pucks out, shoot it, or get a, a shot where he's just slightly out. He's not as far out as Terry or um, uh, Zegras and have the skill to make those shots. He's got to be in a little bit tighter. It's got to be a real quick bang-bang play. You saw him, he had a breakaway, and he kind of screwed it up. You know, that happens, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that's just kind of it. The hands, the hands are there in certain certain aspects or certain situations and i don't think it's as complimentary to troy or to terry and zegras with him there unless he's literally 
on top of the crease. And he's he's in the way screening, blocking people out, making passing lanes open. He doesn't do that. He's there, but he's also expecting to get an opportunity to score a goal. So I yeah, would think no, I he think would that's... work out better on a fourth line, in my opinion. No, I think I, I think that's reasonable. I don't think there's anything there that's insane. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, no problem. Right. I was worried Same for a second. I was worried. <laughs> you were anyway, so it's trailing off. I don't know what galaxy brain is. <laughs> <laughs> so I think at this point, let's just uh, let's do some predictions real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always, ladies and gentlemen, the Ducks game weekly predictions are presented by 714 Tickets. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter at 714 Tickets. Uh, we have a, a thing going on with them where we are doing the Forever Mighty Three Stars are back, and they are going to be giving out some swag and some codes and some stuff like that uh, at the end of every month and uh, helping us, you know, just kind of get you guys some cool shit and get you guys into games and stuff like that for a little bit cheaper and things like that. Um, all right. So San Jose, we're home, right? No. So first it's tomorrow versus Toronto. Oh, that's right. Then it's at San Jose on Tuesday at Vancouver Thursday at San Jose at, at San Jose Saturday. So it's literally game day off game day off game day off game and travel. So let's go first. Toronto, win or lose? Lose. You know what? It's stupid. I think they're going to win the Toronto game. That's adorable. I know. Uh, it's stupid. They're not going to, <laughs> but I'm going to go for change it. Change the lines up. Don't have Drysdale. I know. Uh, and they've got no reason to suspect they're going to do it after a 4 nothing loss to Vegas. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, the next one is at San Jose. I say we could win that one. Okay. What you got? All right. That's that's one I'm I'm willing to say. Hey, maybe we kind of get something together. <laughs> All right. I'll take I'll take a three zero win. I'll say we shut a out. Shut out. Wow, that is bold. And I'll say it's Stolars. I'll say Stolars in his second start. <clears throat> we'll get a shutout. We'll get a shutout against San Jose. That's not too crazy if he starts. Right. Yeah. Then Thursday at Vancouver. I would say loss, um, mostly because yeah. I think they're going to go over. Again, they're kind of on a mini road trip at this point, but Vancouver is uh, – their expectations were here, where ours was like here, mm-hmm. and they were at our same point for quite a while. Uh, they finally got a win, um, and they, uh, they, they're they fighting now, like literally fighting, so – uh, I think that they uh, want to keep their thing going, so I think they're they're going to be a little bit hungrier than we are. Their yeah, I'll say that's a that's a loss for Anaheim. Loss, yeah. And finally, Saturday, November fifth, San Jose. I'm just going to be happy about it. Be super optimistic. Say we win another one against them. Um, be really hard for us to go through all of this, and then that puts us at like, as I eleven games in with only two wins. We got. I'm just happy if we can have three. <laughs> So Is that too much. I I'll think, go with. I think my if you would have asked me about the week going into this conversation, I would have said one, two, and one, taking one of the San Jose games and pushing either the other San Jose game or maybe even the Vancouver game to yeah. overtime. Yeah. That being said, based on what I've said, it looks like two and two. Yeah. So I have them at two and two. 
You have them uh, at what? Two and two. Yeah, two and both, two as well. Both San Jose yeah. games, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we will we will see how that goes, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that they will now go on a four win streak <laughs> and completely ruin it for everybody. But I wouldn't be opposed. To it. Uh, no, hey, kinda... I, I've never been, uh, never <laughs> wouldn't be happier to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I think that's <laughs> it. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you want to help us go, if you want to help us keep us going throughout the season, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Search Forever Mighty and leave us a rating and a review. Uh, we'll definitely read the new ones on the show. We really appreciate them. Uh, also. Spotify, um, anywhere else you get your podcasts, we are there. We're also, we have our YouTube channel. We have a Twitch stream. Uh, we try to go live when we can, uh, which Hopefully has we get proven to be a little bit harder sometimes than not, <laughs> but we're hoping to get right back into doing those and maybe hit up with a, a post game or two just for some fun. Um, yeah, uh, but you okay. can find the, the video feeds at Forever Mighty Podcast at youtube.com slash Forever Mighty Podcast. Um, and for now, I think that is it. You can follow yeah, everyone, us everyone, on Everyone's Twitter. tuned out. Yep. You can follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Forever Mighty FM. Uh, you can follow me at the Hockey Boomer. And Jason, what is yours? Uh, what is I think your I am now Jesus ADHD. I think your ADHD Jesus is your. Oh, yeah. 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 But what's your. Fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. I don't care. Everybody listening already does. <laughs> uh, thank you guys uh, for listening. Thank you to everyone who uh, is hanging out with us uh, posthumously. Not posthumously. That's bad. Anyways. It's just me and you, dude. It's this just... is a. This is a disaster right now. This is awful. Let's go. Where's Ed? Fun. I miss Ed. Where's Ed? Yeah. Eddie is truly the thing that keeps this whole thing operating. <laughs> Uh, the Canadian glue to our milk bag. Yeah. All right, everybody. <laughs> Have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye, guys.